is so sweet. You may be seated. It's a beautiful story behind that hymn that Steve just spoke about because they were out in the beach out in Long Island and um, they had just finished church and they're having a picnic out there and uh, the husband saw um, a young man struggling and was drowning and uh, Sneed's husband went out to try to save him they both drowned and that was in a time when there was no welfare and no uh, help assistance, but dependent on people from the church and whatnot. And she wrote this beautiful hymn about trusting in Jesus through the real tough times. Thank you. 
Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we just give you praise and thanksgiving for the wonderful gifts you've given to us. And I thank you for these folks who just given on behalf of their joy and thanks for how much you've provided for them in their lives. We give you thanks, Lord, for this wonderful country that you've given to us. I pray, Father God, that you'll continue to bless it. Oftentimes we'll sing, God bless America, and we really mean that, Lord. We need you, your protection, your strength, your hope. We need your help in times of need, and especially these times, Lord. Again, we come before you with the challenges that are going on in our leadership in the country. We think especially of um, the whole thing in Russia, and we think about the Chinese, too, and even the Koreans who again this past week have acted up and we don't even know some of the other places but Lord we come before you and we pray for our leaders that you will help them and keep the peace and also to um, keep our democracy secure and safe we pray for the men and women who put their lives on the line every week both in the world and even in our own community as again we got a little close to home this past week on Dillon's, and we just pray, Father, for those families that have lost loved ones and for the difficulties that they've gone through. I think especially, too, for a chaplain that uh, we lost this past week, Father, and I pray for her family and, and for the sad uh, deal that they have to go through with their granddaughter and all this stuff. Lord, I just leave that all before you, Christ. I pray also, too, Father God, for Lucille and for Kay, we pray also, too, for Mary's family as she died this Monday, and we pray for the family to feel your comfort and peace. We pray also, too, for Joyce, who had back surgery. We think of our brother Bill Moore, who had to have quadruple bypass, and what a shock we all had. But, Lord, we thank you for sparing his life and that he is recuperating very well and doing well. We pray also, too, for Father, for um, Diane's brother, Lord Danny, and his massive heart attack. And we pray for his recovery and for his healing and that uh, he can be restored to full health and strength. We also thank you, Lord, for restoring Sharon Long, who's had a battle with her breathing and the difficulties she's had. We pray also, too, for a friend, Rodney, who had also a, a mass on his lung and for the doctors to remove it and bring healing. We pray also, too, Lord, for Betty and <clears throat> for John, especially as some of the struggles that he's having with healing right now. I want to pray also, too, Father God, for a friend who's going through some trauma and PTSD. I just pray that you'll give me the ability to help him through that. And I pray also, too, for 
a little girl um, who was married but had lost her first baby, and I just pray for her, that you'll bring comfort and peace and strength to her. It was a very sad time in her life, Father. We pray also, too, for Judy. It's so good to see her back today and for healing to come to her. And, Lord, we pray for others that we know that are struggling with their marriages or that are struggling with children in rebellion or whatever it can be, Lord. We lift that up to you right now and ask for your help and for your healing. I pray also, too, for a friend going to surgery this week on his hip. Pray that you'll bring comfort and relief for him and also for healing for that hip. We pray for Jeff Peavy also, who had just had a hip surgery and is doing very well. We pray for the continued healing in his body also. And now, Father, we pray we bring these things to you and we know that they're in great hands. And help us now, Lord, as we come before your word, speak to us. Help us to hear what you have to say for us so that we can... Come away <clears throat> from here being changed people by your Holy Spirit. We want to be that way, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. The seminary student who had met a girl and he was very excited, they fell in love and they still hadn't kissed. And he was trying to find a Bible verse because he wanted to live real biblical life. And he asked a professor, he said, Professor, can I use Romans 16 where it says, greet each other with a holy kiss after I leave her on a date? And he said, no, that would be taking it out of context. So finally, the next night he went again, brought her home and gave her a handshake. Well, little did he know, but his new girlfriend was getting pretty frustrated. So, and she knew his desire to have Bible verses to be able to do everything about his life. And so that night, as they were finishing up their date, she grabbed him and put a big kiss on him. And he was saying, but Bible verse, Bible verse. And she said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. <laughs> well, so it is, the desire to live according to the word of God. And we started this series last week on the Lord. God goes with us wherever we go. And that's what we want to do today. We want to be able to experience the life-changing work that Christ does and the positive life that he has for us in our lives. And a lot of people, old hymn writers, used to write about Canaan. And if you'll notice some of the hymns, they think as Canaan as heaven. But really, Canaan is not heaven. What Canaan was is mostly an example for us of what the Christian life is like. The Christian life is always filled with experiences, good and bad. Uh, Joshua wound up having battles and also doing obstacles, trying to get them removed so that the children of Israel can totally get what God has provided for them and enjoy the land and to live in it. It's kind of like our Christian lives. God wants us to live our lives abundantly. He wants to live us in joy. In John chapter 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come to give you life. And he wanted to give us eternal life, which is in heaven that we know we're going to die and we're going to live in heaven forever. But also he wants us to enjoy this life and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are going to come obstacles. There are going to come problems. There are going to come difficulties. But in relationship to him, he gives us the ability to overcome those obstacles and deal with them day after day. Now, if you remember the children of Israel, for 40 years, they wandered in the desert because they didn't trust God. They gave into their fear rather than listening to the two spies who said, look, we can conquer this God has given to us. They rather listened to the 10 other spies and they gave into fear and they held back. And so finally now, after the end of that 40 years and a whole generation, because of their fear and lack of faith, dropped dead in the desert, 1.2 million people, now it comes their final time to go in. And one of the places that was so important to integral to taking over Canaan was a key city called Jericho. And we all know about the walls of Jericho. Well, there was a woman by the name of Rahab who lived there. The most unlikely woman that God would ever choose. Jericho was part of the strategic plan that God was going to conquer. And one of the things we learn about right away is, and this is so important, that even though God promises us things, and even though we have faith in God, he expects us also to do our homework, and that's what Joshua does. He doesn't do his homework because he doesn't think God's going to provide for him. He knows God is going to provide for him, but he goes out and he has the inspection by the two spies to make sure he develops the right plans to get after this. And so what he does is that he sends these two spies. 
And what we find here is that God brings this woman into their lives to save them. She becomes an integral part of the salvation of Israel and getting into the promised land. And that God, one of the things that the Bible is showing us here right off the bat, that God can transform the most difficult people. He can transform people who are not the same rebel that we think they should be. He doesn't transform religious people. He transforms people who he touches in their hearts and calls them out to do work. You and I have been saved by God for a very purpose so that we can do the good works that God has called us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And she has taken, she's going to be taken from a hall of shame and in the New Testament, chapter 11, verse Hebrews, we find that there's a hall of fame of faith. And there's only two women in that hall of fame of faith. One of them is Rahab. And the other one is Sarah. And God shows this Gentile woman, this woman of ill repute, to be his sacred child, to save the children of Israel. And she is also named in Matthew as part of the genealogy of Jesus. She is basically an heiress. She is an ancestress of Jesus the Messiah that we'll see later on in this book. But Rahab right now is going to be seen as a woman who God chose that had faith in the Israelite God, not the pagan God she had grown up with. And without faith, the Bible said, it's impossible to please him. And so here's this woman who receives this faith. First, she has the gift of faith. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men, spies, secretly in from Shittim, and saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of the harlot, whose name was Rahab, and she and lodged there. And it was told that the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out those men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all land. Now here we have this woman. She's got everything stacked against her according to Jewish values. Number one, she was a Gentile. She wasn't welcome. And in fact, Jews didn't have anything to do with Gentiles. And here she was, somebody outside the fold that God chooses. Second, she was a pagan. She grew up among pagan gods and worshiping them. And even the gods that they even worshiped and, and threw their children to worship this pay, these pagan gods. And she was also a harlot. Now, some people, some of our theologians try to play this up and say she was an innkeeper. But the Bible continues to say that she was a prostitute. That she was a woman of ill repute. And that shows us as amazingly how God uses by his grace, and saves anyone who he chooses to be saved and brought into the family of God. This woman was a broken woman. This woman was a hurting woman. She was bruised. She was brutalized by men. In fact, in that day, women were treated as if they were just a piece of material that could be discarded anyway, just like children. And yet, God chooses her. And there are people I know who say, oh, there's no hope for me. There is. God shows us through the choosing of this woman that there's great hope for everybody in God's kingdom that can be saved. And here she sold her body for money. And God still draws her in, brings into her his family and makes it the heritage of Jesus Christ himself. Now, this helps us to understand that whether we have Rahab or whether we have myself, the Bible tells us that we're all sinful and we fall short of the glory of God. And that in Romans chapter 3.22, there's no difference between a Rahab whose sins are very outward and people can see them and to Tave who's got secret sins or secret things he has in his heart. You see... The amazing thing is it's God's grace that saves us. He saves even a woman like Rahab. And sometimes we say even because we think she's much more greater sinner than we are. And that's not true. She may have taken actions that are many of them, but she's still a sinner. And we're all in the same playing field. Grace saved even Dave Henyon. 
And that's what God does. And that he, we only get into heaven by that only one thing, grace. And this is the one thing about her. She's talked about in the book of James in the New Testament because her faith was just not a faith that sat around. She took action on what she did and she acted on her faith, trusting God. She hid the, these, these spies and protected them so that the, king, the, the children of Israel can overcome the land. She had a very active faith. And it intensifies as we understand her. You know, some people will think about Rahab and they think, oh, she was a prophet. Let me tell you something. She's also now, we need to connect our minds with Rahab as righteousness because God shows her and saved her. And we see that all through the New Testament, don't we? In Luke chapter 7, there's a woman by Jesus who was a woman of ill repute. And what does she do? She takes the bowl. And the Bible tells us that her name will be known for what she's done here. She even washes his feet and does it with her tears and wipes it with her hair. And even though the Pharisees are behind the back going, how could Jesus be this son of God and actually let this prostitute touch him and wash his feet? We see it again in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, and a woman who had married five times and the guy she was living with at that time was not her husband. And how the Pharisees came up and they mocked her and put her down and Jesus got in the soil. Remember, and he drew and he said things and all of a sudden they left one at a time because he was telling them about their own sins. And he was convicting them about their own sins. And this woman, he says... You're forgiven and go and sin no more. You see, that's the God that we serve. He loves even the uttermost and the guttermost and saves them. That's his love. And that it's so wonderful that here she was, this person who was willing to step up in faith and trust God and be used. I don't know if you've ever known any prostitutes, but I've known several of them. And one of the things that a lot of times they feel is that they're not worthy. And, and, and how dirty they feel about themselves. And how God would, I, I remember one saying to me, Pastor Dave, God will never accept me. I said, there is nothing that will keep you from his love. All you have to do is say, Jesus, come in. Wash me, and he will. And it'll take up residence in your heart, and you will find new life in him. That's what he wants from you. It's not on your worthiness. No, he accepts you by his grace and forgives you and draws you to himself. One of the saddest things we in our culture today are experiencing, that as me with my chaplaincy work with the police department, I've had more suicides in one year than I've had in probably 10 years working as a chaplain. Because there are people who become despairing. And some people say, I had a fellow one day say to me, he was mad at his brother for committing suicide. And he said, he's a coward. No, he's not. I said to him here, he, he carried this load of anger towards his brother for seven years. And I said to them, no, you don't understand. 82% who commit suicide feel that the world would be better without them. And that, 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 that checking out would be better for everybody around them. That's how low they feel about themselves. And, and, and he, he broke into tears. We were over here in Panera and he was just crying. He said, here all this time I thought my brother was just a... I said, no. He said, thank you so much. You see, folks, that's the brokenness that she felt in Christ. God gave her the faith to be able to say, I want to follow the Lord. She was a hooker, streetwalker. You know what our society thinks about that. Even though we put on TV all this stuff about sex and all these things, and, you know, we're finding out now about the Playboy Club that was, you have to made this beautiful image that this was the greatest place, like Shangri-La, they even called it. And now we're finding out the real story and how Hollywood really played it up and covered it over and it was not what it was supposed to be. And that we think nothing of casual sex today. Kids think nothing that if you ever listen to TikTok, it's horrible what is said on there. 
and, 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 and we've seen it in our society, even in the city, where we see trafficking, sometimes even as young as five years old. It makes you sick. You see, but this is what she was. But then she came to faith. And God took that harlot, made her a queen. We don't know what background she had. We don't know where she came from or what she did. We don't know. But we do know that she was forgiven. That she was made whole. You see, she risked her faith. She risked in faith. The Bible tells us, and but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it came about that it was time to shut the gate at dark. That the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax where she had laid in order on the roof. And so the men pursued them on the road to Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Here we see this woman step out in faith and take action. God's grace touched her. He used someone who we would never think that he would use, and he uses her. And what she does is she takes the spies in. And she does things for God's purpose. But here comes the tricky part about this. And some theologians have stumbled over this. And struggled. And I've read so many different variations of what people think happened here. Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12 verse 22 that lying is a sin. But here she is lying bold face to the king the people who are looking for these spies. And some say that the reason why she could lie in God, the Bible talks about her faith tremendously, but doesn't talk about her lying. It tells us that she lied, but doesn't say anything morally about it. Some believe that God just saved her, forgave her because of her faith. Some theologians tell us that maybe simply because the enemy was a normal, acceptable thing to do during wartime, which it was wartime. Others tell us that she was responsible for keeping normal standards of God. Others tell us that Rahab brokered a lesser principle or a lesser part of the deal. And what we have here is she's given two hard things. Now, God could have made it that she still told the truth and made it work out. But here she is, she's got two dilemmas. Both of them would have been sin. The one sin was that she would have been lying. And the other is that she would have had the guys killed because she told them, yes, they're upstairs in my attic and I've hid them. But what she does, because of God's purpose for this, she decides that these men are more important than her telling the truth. And she chooses the lesser evil. And saves these men's lives so God's work can continue on. And that she lies and gets them safely through this experience so they can go back and give their reconnaissance mission stuff. And was she justified? Sure she was. Because it was wartime and it was a difficult spot she was in. I have had the opportunity to help some police officers. And also two men who were in the military had to do things that were pretty nasty. They didn't want to do them. But in because of the mission that they were on, and it was wartime, that God used them, even though they had to be deceptive and tell lies so that they could get the drugs off the street to find out where the meth was being made for the good of people that they don't want to die. And you see, God used her, even in her lying, to bring about the health and well-being of Canaan and the Israelites getting into Canaan and bring it over. And I explain, I use Rahab as an example, who's a very good example, that in the time when war is going on, 
and we're in battle. Sometimes we have to sell stories and lie. And like the undercover cops, they're not undercover people. They're not people who are drug addicts. They're playing that they are. Or they're working down South Broadway as prostitutes. They're not. They're moms of, of, of sons and daughters in town here. Or they're, they're, they're people who are police officers. But they have to put on that so that they can win the battle. And you see, that's the thing that God used her. And she put her faith on the line. She put herself on the line. She could have been killed if the king found out. But she was willing to risk for her faith. And that's why she grows in her faith. And this is how we grow in her faith. And this is how she does it. The Bible speaks about it here. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you land. And that the terror has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of that land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea before you when you were, came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites and where beyond the Jordan and Shion and Og and whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted. No courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Look at what she says. She makes a great statement about God because she knows and she's come to understand through the learning what she's heard that this God is greater than anything. You see, faith is so important, but faith is only important as much as you what you put your faith in, the object that you do. She puts her faith in, not the culture, not her king, not the world that she lived in, but she put her faith in God. That was the deliverer. And she trusted him because he's the God of heaven and earth and under beneath the earth. She put her trust in him. And she came to that by hearing the word. She heard all about in her mind and in her intellect. She heard what God had done. And then from that point, she put her trust in him. She took her emotions that were stirred and gave herself to the Lord. And then what does she do? She acts in obedience to protect those spies. She acts in obedience knowing that she's going to be delivered because of this God that they trusted in. Noah did the same thing, you know. Intellectually, he was told by God, build an ark. Here we are in the middle of the desert. Build an ark. And what does he do? He believes God at his word. Builds the ark and saves his family because he acted on his will to trust God. And this is what God is saying through this passage today, that as we go through life, we need to trust God's word. And the more we listen to the word, some people say to me, how do I get more faith? More faith you get is when you hear the word, and you just don't read it. You listen to the word, and then you pull out what God is saying to you, and then live that out. Make that part of your DNA because that's faith. And when you do that, your faith will grow and develop even more. He's a personal God who speaks to us through his word. And through that word, in addition, then we can go out and we display the actions that show we have faith. We don't sit at home and just rest on. No, we take action and change our lives, change the way we act, the way we speak, that we respond we respond to God's gift and not be distracted by the world. And you see, this is what he does. She takes God at his word. She listened to it. And then she demonstrated her faith by doing the deeds she had to do. It came through hearing. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, 17, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the word of God. It's putting it into your DNA and living it out every day. That's how we grow. In the New Testament, how many times there were times, you know, people would say, I would believe more if I saw more miracles. I imagine the people in Jesus' day had a lot easier time because they saw all these miracles. No, they didn't. The Bible tells us they saw all the miracles. In Mark's gospel, it says they were amazed at the miracles that he did. And yet not many believed. It's not seeing the miracles is hearing about what God does, trusting what Christ says, 
putting it in action and living it by faith. That's how we grow. By picking up the word and letting it change us and make us new. And then she grasped her faith. Look at the grasp that she has on her faith. And when she heard it, our hearts melted. And no courage remained in any man no, any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the Lord of heaven above and the earth beneath. And now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household. And give me the pledge of the truth. And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all you belong to them. And deliver our lives from death. She realized the intensity of it. And then what does she say? And deliver our lives. And so the men said to her, our life for your lives. If you do not tell the business of ours, and it is, shall come about when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully to you. They make a covenant. As God makes a covenant with us. That as you give yourself and you hold back and don't tell those enemies where we are and what we're doing, you're going to be welcome with us because you're trusting what our God is going to do by faith. Faith acknowledges and submits to the requirements. And this is what they say. That you're going to keep the secret. You're going to keep the lid on it. And that our welfare is going to be dependent. Your welfare. How wonderful it is when we see somebody who's in Jesus Christ that dies. They're not afraid to die. A few weeks ago, in fact, it was last Monday, this past Monday, I went to go to the hospital to see Mary. And I was up in hospice, and they said, oh, no, she died last night. I wasn't sad. I was happy for her. I was sad for her family, but I was happy for her because she was going to see her husband again. We talked about this and the joy she had in Jesus, that knowing where she was going to go. And we laughed about it. And here she was, two weeks later, laying in hospice, not conscious, and waiting for the Lord to come and take her because she trusted in what Christ did on the cross for her. And she was obedient to him. He had called her out of darkness as a child and brought her into the light and she trusted Jesus her whole life. And now here she was, safe in his arms, ready to go until she finally went. You see, that's what God does. He works in us and demonstrates to us. And we don't follow the crowd of the world. She could have followed the world. We can follow the world. We can fall into those traps. Today, again, I've got two websites. We're still looking at it, the denomination, folks, that will be hold to God's word. Because we know the word of God is very important. That's the only thing, folks. The word of God is what brings us our salvation through the Holy Spirit generating our heart. It's the word of God that guides us and leads us through everything in life. Through the difficulties life that supports us, encourages us, and the Holy Spirit and fires that faith up inside of us. And, 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 and one of the things that we need to look at, these four denominations, we may look at another one. Because, folks, this is important. Because what happens, and this is what has happened in our society, a lot of you are wondering why is there's all of a sudden this slide for our denominations, Presbyterian, Reform, Methodist, Episcopalian, sliding in this cultural sludge and adapting it into a society because we've lost respect for the word. I can tell you 30 years ago when I entered into the ministry, I was uh, 40 years ago. I'm trying to forget my age here. But 40 years ago when I went in and when our denomination voted, and, 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 and I, I, I know women have the ability. I know they're intellectual. They have the spirit. But God's word has a thing about women being ordained into the ministry. And I knew... Once our denomination did not listen to the word and they listened to society 
And there were people in the denomination pushing this, not heeding the word, but pushing what the culture was saying, that we were on a slippery slope, not only in that area, but in many areas where it was going to be a loosening up and the standard that God has in his word no longer was the most important thing. That's why this is so important to us right now. Because what is going to be the next thing? And I was broke my heart. And let me tell you something. For the last 30s, 40 years, I paid the price because some people don't even talk to me in our own denomination who are supposed to be Christians. Why? Because they bought into culture. And even though God's word says it, and I know practically speaking, there are wonderful women ministers, honestly. But the question is, what does God's word say? And that's where the divide comes. And you see, this is where our good friend Rahab, she doesn't buckle to the king. She doesn't buckle to the people around her, but she focuses her eyes on God. And by faith, she walks with God. She grasped it. She had it. In fact, she had the grip in her life. Because what she does, she makes covenant with these guys. Covenant with God. And what she does is she's gripped and held in it. That's how we are held in it. Then she let down the rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. So she was living on the wall and she let the spies out so that he can escape and go back to Joshua and tell them the report that they had. Then the men said to her, we shall be free from the oath to you, which you have made to us swear, unless when we come into your land, you tie a red cord of scarlet thread in the window through which we let you let us down and gather to yourself into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. The covenant that they made that they, she would be spared with her family dependent on what they did, this covenant symbol. Last week, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. That's God's kin, his covenant symbol to us that he died on the cross for us and saved us and that that is our covenant we hold to and we stand proud of. She is given this red cord and she puts it out the window symbolizing the covenant that she has. And why is it red? Because of the blood. Blood forgives. Blood washes away sin. It's interesting how we even today are reminded of that because what do they call the places or the neighborhoods where prostitutes are? The red light district. Why do you think that is? Because of the red cord hanging out that window. And here she is. She hangs that red cord symbolizing the blood that washes away her sin and the sins of her family and saves them. And God does this miracle and he does it according to the words that she said and he said and they bound together in that sacred cord of a reminder of God's covenant faithfulness and love. And what a wonderful job he does. He saves and we're going to see that come out. But it comes because she's not afraid to put the cord out the window. She rests on what God has promised her with that red cord. And the business that she took care of. Because God, she trusted and had faith in. It's interesting how God works, isn't it? Like the little lady, Iris Blue, prostitute. Who one day a group of people were out talking the gospel. And that prostitute heard about Jesus. And she said, I'll never forget that day I got on my knees and I went from a tramp to a lady of the Lord. God does that. I remember probably now, it's probably about 38 years ago, went into a coffee shop, shop with two guys that had just come to know Christ, who belonged to the church but hadn't gone to church since they were in sixth grade. Now they're in 20s. I was teaching them how to talk about Jesus to other people. And there was this group of girls there. 
And how funny it was, you know. We hit it off and we were having a good time. And I'll never forget sharing with them about Christ. And then the next week we came back and there they were again. I really think they were interested in the two guys I was with. But anyway, we shared it in that day. I remember we had these little booklets called The Four Spiritual Laws. In fact, there's a whole bunch of books on the lobby that I'm giving away and take anything you want. And this little Four Spiritual Laws talks about how a person can come to Christ, that God loves you, and he has a special place for you, and that you're a sinner and that you need Christ to save you. And how you do that is you ask him to come into your life and wash your sins away, and you become And those girls were trashing us, kind of making fun of us. And I'll never forget, we left them those pamphlets. We left. And then the three girls that were sitting there, they got up and they walked out and they left those pamphlets. But one of the girls got in her car and waited till the other two girls would leave. Because she didn't want them to know that she went back and got the pamphlet. And the one girl went back. She got those three pamphlets, got in her car and read the pamphlet and began to cry. Something was going on in her life was going on and she realized how she needed the Lord in her life. That night in her car out in the coffee uh, shop's parking lot, she gave her life to Christ. She went back home and got her sister who was with her and went into her room and shared what she had just done and the sister did the same thing. She prayed and asked Christ into her life. Those two girls, the one became a Sunday school teacher with us for a while before she moved out in the area and the other one who was working for Mercedes at that time came to know Christ and she decided to become our Sunday school superintendent. And for years, she got on what we call that God squad that goes out and talks to people about Jesus. And then she moved to South Carolina because she got a new job with a bigger corporation. But even today, she's involved with her church. She's leading people to Christ. In fact, she led another gal, to, two gals to Christ before she left in New Jersey. One was a prostitute, and the other girl she led was, became a psychologist in New Jersey. All because God touched her through what she heard, and he saved her. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you for how miraculous you work. And people of all kinds and all places, Lord, I thank you for Rahab and how this life that she had is a witness and a testimony to anybody that we know that God loves them and brings them to himself. I just pray, Lord, if there are friends around us that have those feelings of insecurity and fear and are not sure of themselves that they can know that love, Jesus, and accept you, what you did on the cross for them. And I pray also too, Father God, that we in our hearts can continue to grow in our faith and that we can stand boldly for you no matter where you call us to stand for the greatest message that mankind could ever get because of your saving work in all of us. Thank you, Jesus, for this time to share. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Let's stand and receive the benediction and sing our closing song. Now, God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, shine in your heart and bring the glory of Jesus Christ in you. Amen. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. You sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood.